welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Hey, before you're seated, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, I'm claiming my victory. If you're, if you're at home tuning in or somewhere on the internet, I want you to put in the, into the comment bar, I'm claiming my victory. We're talking about gaining victory today. We're going to talk about how to live victorious with the belt of truth. Are you in? Amen. I mean, are you in? Yeah. All right. I know they're in. I'm just, just questioning you guys. Uh, I think you might, you might be in. Hey, I'm super, super excited just to get into God's Word today. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I just invite you to open up to Ephesians 6. We're going to read through uh, verses 10 through 18, but we're going to camp out on two verses particularly. But again, just like I did last week, we're taking a long run of this passage so we can really soak in it, and then also to see the context that it's written in and uh, in some details there we will talk about in a moment. So Ephesians 6. No reason to cry. I just got started. (laughs) Verse 10 says this. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. That is God's word. I was thinking about something when I was preparing for this talk. I was thinking about when my kids were young, and specifically I was drawn to mind when we lived in Florida and my daughter was young. As a dad, I thought the best thing I could do, you know, was to to help my kids to get outside was to get them a swing set. And because I grew up with a metal swing set, I thought that my kids had to have a metal swing set. And metal swing sets were amazing, and this one was super elaborate, and I put the thing together for the most part. I mean, everything that mattered was there. And so I put all the things together, and, and because it was sandy soil, it was there. And then as soon as she would start swinging, as she would swing out, you know what would happen, right? Then the legs, and then it started to be a game, and then the back of the thing starts to go up, and then she goes the other way, and then the other starts, side starts to go up. And then I thought, well, man, this is like a whole competition. And if I put her on this, she's, she's going to either try and flip the thing over. She's definitely going to twist it in pieces. So then I went out and I got these braces. They were like corkscrew braces that literally like 
anchored onto and they're bolted onto the legs of this thing at the four corners and you turn the corkscrew thing in there and I thought, well, this is for sure gonna be what uh, allows her not to have some disaster happen and to me uh, not win doubt of the year because she got hurt. Well, little did I know as I put the, the braces on and everything was great, I went to Toys R Us. By the way, that used to exist, it doesn't. Uh, uh, now it stands for We Are Closed, in case you're curious. But uh, So I went to Toys R Us, I got these things, I put it on there, and I thought this is going to be the fix. She went out there and got on it. Within five minutes, she had already had those things uprooted. Sandy soil, it was out of the ground. She'd have the time of her life, you know, like she needed a parachute kind of thing. I, I was confident of that. And, and the, the reason why I believe that was brought to mind this week is for you and I to live a well-ordered life, we have to be anchored in truth. And that swing set, I tried to anchor it. It was not anchored. And just, just so you know, I don't even know you can buy those metal things anymore because they all did the exact same thing and they became death traps for kids and now they've been replaced with wood. But for you and I, our life is such a picture of that because there are times in our life, and my heart has been heavy for you this week, honestly, because there are times in our lives to where we're kind of topsy-turvy, aren't we? There are times in our life where whether it's something we've done to ourselves, or something that somebody's done to us or something in our backstory that, that was buried and now it's on the forefront of our life, there are times in our lives where, where things that we just don't know if we're coming or going. And, and in those moments, in every other moment of our life, we have to have a life that is anchored in truth if it is going to be a well-ordered life. The gospel promises us, Jesus spoke about it, he talked about it over and over and over. The Apostle Paul even added to some of the things that Jesus said, not to take away from, but just added some application to it for us to have well-ordered lives. But as what we'll see in this passage is to have a well-ordered life, it has to be anchored in truth. Verse 13 and 14 are where we're going to draw most of our application today. Most of my preaching is going to be uh, here and then supported with some other passages. Let's read this again in verse 13. Paul, in context, he says, therefore, so he's connecting what he just talked about to now what he's about to introduce. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that the, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So he's introducing this belt, and he calls it the belt of truth. He, he's, we don't know why he's chosen this imagery, but he's chosen this imagery perhaps is because when he's actually in prison, maybe he was literally drawing to mind a, a Roman guard who was actually guarding him at the moment. So maybe he was drawing all these analogies and, and trying to get a, a base of understanding about spiritual warfare by simply looking at a Roman guard. We don't know. But he goes into detail, and he starts right here in this passage. He goes into detail, starting to talk about certain things that Roman centurions, Roman guards would have at the time. And one of the things that he mentions is this belt of truth. Uh, if we have a picture of the belt of truth, if we could put that up, Rachel. It's this, the belt, and it's, it's guarded with leather, and it's kind of ornate. And, and you see that, the, the leather band around there, that would be the belt of a, of a Roman soldier, and what you really can't see in this picture is all of the other armor 
would be attached to the belt. But it, the way that this would be constructed is the belt would go on and then everything else would tie into it, but yet it was the only piece of, of a Roman soldier's uh, garment, his, his war garment, that actually he could leave on at all times. So everything else could be peeled off, but he would still have this belt of truth, or this belt, rather. So the belt, you see it's very ornate. It has metal things on there. Some people believe that, and there's a lot of ideas about this, but they believe that part of this belt is you'd be able to see what the rank is of the individual who's wearing the belt. Some other ideas was this belt would Maybe if you just became a Roman soldier, it would start out kind of plain, but then over time, you could actually invest different things into the belt to make it ornate, to make it stand out, to make it yours. We're not really sure, but we are positive that the Apostle Paul uses this as an analogy to talk about a greater virtue, and that being truth, the belt of truth. Uh, Just by way of maybe transitioning into the passage I just want to ask you guys a question, and it's going to seem a little off the wall, but I'm going somewhere with this. Who are the type of people who look at, at your gas gauge, or maybe that you look at, you're looking at your gas gauge, and, and then the lower that number gets, the more you see that it's a challenge just to keep going? How many people are like that? You see 50. There you go. I got some brave people. You, you see 50, and then you're like, Psh. 50 miles. I can go another week on 50 miles, right? And then you got down to 20 and you're like, I can go another couple days on this 20. And then it's a challenge and you just like try to do that, try and prove the thing wrong. Here's the thing. I remember when cars didn't have that, that little challenge built in. And it was the same thing with the gas gauge. You hit, you know, you have a quarter of a tank left And then once you get below the quarter of a tank, and then it would just drop down to E, and you're like, but my car can go below E. It's fine. That's just a suggestion. (laughs) We all know this. The reality is this, though. We look at the gas gauge, but it's simply a reference point, but but we don't necessarily believe that it's true. But the truth is, if you drive long enough on, if you drive long enough, you're gonna what? Run out of gas. And yet that becomes for us a picture, really, because we think that we can believe that truth is subjective, subjective to what we want or subjective to what, to what we desire. But there is an absolute truth that's talked about in the Bible that it is bedrock truth. And it is this truth that Jesus would talk about. It's this truth that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And it is this truth that allows you and I, who are in Christ, to actually have some spiritual victories. I'll summarize it by saying this. The only way to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil is by by choosing truth over lies. The only way to overcome the world and the systems thereof and the flesh that's raging within us and the devil is by choosing truth over lies. There's, uh, there's so much about our world that, that there are truths to be found, and yet Satan has counterfeited these truths. And some of these truths that have been counterfeited in the world, they, they taste good and they feel good. And, and, and deep in the recesses of our bones, we just want maybe want them, but not always do uh, the things that we want always prove out to be the best things for us. So let's dig deep into this truth. The truth supports everything else. 
The truth supports everything else. Just like the cingulum, the Roman soldier's belt, it supported everything else, the weaponry. The breastplate tying into it. The leather, all the strap system, it supported everything. It was all intact. It stayed close to the soldier so he could move and he could be nimble. Agile as much as you can be whenever you have armor on to get through life. But this, the truth supports everything else. What's dangerous about the truth is this. When it comes to the truth, we tend to believe what we want to be true before we embrace and believe in God's truth. Because there's this time before you and I gave our lives to Jesus, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, where we lived in lies. And God wants to do a work in you. Listen to me, church. God wants to do a work in you to take some of those lies that you've believed and by the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify you, set you apart so that you start not believing in those lies, but so that you start resting in the truth because it is the truth that Jesus said in John 8 that will actually set you free. So what is on offer with the gospel message, what is on offer with Jesus' ministries is a truth that will actually set you free. Set you free from the bondage of sin. Set you free from from crippling guilt. Set you free from from shame that, that seeks to bind you and define you. But it's this freedom that's on offer from Jesus and it's the same freedom that the apostle Paul would come to understand and then give his life to sharing. But we have to wrestle with this at times because when it comes to the truth, we tend to believe what we want to be true. And some of us, if we're honest, if we're honest here in the room, if you're honest in the chat, some of us have simply stopped there and we simply look for things that verify what we want to be true. Or even that we even go into the Bible and we only, we look at the things that we like or the things that feel good to us, the things that look good to us, the things that affirm what we want to be true, and we can simply put the rest of those things on the shelf and ignore them. You will not have the life that Jesus calls is abundant if that's what you do. Because God wants to do a work in you, and sometimes the work in you is the most challenging thing, that it is, it is the work of the Holy Spirit wrestling sin out of your life. And many of those sins are actually rooted in lies that you believe for a long time. <clears throat> Second Peter 2, 1 through 2 says this, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of, of the truth will be maligned. There will be people who follow the the senses and they will live by senses. They will live by what feels good or what tastes good. Of course, the five senses, touch, taste, smell, hear, and sight. I thought of this when I was listening to a podcast on a run. The the preacher was giving this, this illustration and excuse me, not in a run, this was actually out of a book, and I was reading this book, and he started talking about underwater diving, and he he would go into the springs of Florida, and he would actually dive deep into, into the dark recesses of caves and water caves in Florida, and he started talking about the training, and he started talking about when he went in for the certain training, there's all kinds of protocols, of course, so, so no one dies, or at least you don't want someone to die, so that all these protocols, but one of the things that they that they tested was they made him go 
blind, like basically go blind into this deep recess, and they shut the light out so it was pitch black. And he said specifically, he said that he, he never wore gloves when he was diving. That way, he would always have this sense he could take his gloves off and he could follow the guide wire with his fingers. And it was, that was an interesting thought for me because you and I, although we have those five senses, we can be controlled by those five senses because we need those five senses. And because just because this person had to, had to use these, one of his senses, when one was, was not usable, he had to rely upon another. And you and I can live our lives dominated by one of those senses. By lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It is so crafty. Satan is so crafty. And the flesh within us is so crafty. And the world system that we live in is so crafty. You and I can be indulging in all of these senses and not even know it. This word sensuality that Peter talks about here, he says that many will follow their sensuality, live a life based off their senses because we need our senses. But if we become dominated by our senses, he says many people will follow the sensuality. And what he's saying is that sensuality is a stem that the lust of the flesh can grow on. That sensuality, only doing what feels good, tastes good, is good. The sensuality can cause us to just indulge in sexualized thoughts and devious sexual thoughts, drug and alcohol abuse, overindulgence in food and gluttony, indulging in and listening to harmful or hurtful messages listening to slander or speaking slander or malice against someone else, causing division and dissension. And Paul said in Romans 8.8, he says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. There's a compelling virtue for us to live into. Not only is, is this truth something that is just supporting of everything else, but it's also, it's the way that we can actually live victoriously. It's the way that we can live victoriously. For us, it's, it's not a matter of your truth or my truth. It's a matter of the truth. And I'm sure you've heard that terminology. It's, well, that's your truth or that's, that's my truth. And the idea being, well, if it's your truth and, and then you have like I have my truth, but as long as my truth doesn't interfere with your truth, then we're okay. But as soon as I claim that there's an absolute truth, which is the truth, then all of a sudden people start getting offended. Here's what I found. The Bible is an equal offender. God steps on my toes all the time. I pray by his grace that he steps on yours too. Because it is when we live in alignment with what Jesus said. It's when we live in alignment with, with Christ in us and in, in the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we live in the richness of the Father's love, it is then and only then will we know the truth and that we will be able to live victorious lives. 
But is the object of your faith worthy of your trust? That's the question. Simple, simple, simple illustration. Almost childish. That's okay. It fits me. If I were to go to Brian, like, Brian, I know that you have repelled before, right? Have you repelled? Boy Scouts, I did too, right? If I were to go to Brian, and, and I were to say, Brian, hey, we're going to go do some repelling. But I didn't have, like, the money to buy the expensive, like, rope and carabiners and stuff. I didn't have all that. Instead, I have an endless supply of yarn, right? Are you in for that? Bye-bye. He says bye-bye. Yeah, I'm going to be bye-bye, right? So, and you wouldn't even let me do that, would you, Beth? You wouldn't because you love me. You wouldn't do that. Because we know that there's, like, that is just not strong enough, is it? You're hoping that that was not going to break, weren't you? <laughs> Be honest. For you, I mean, it's a, it's a silly, really childish example, but it fits. Is the object of your faith worthy of your trust? Because we can put our hopes and desires and things and our, and our faith goes there too. I mean, there's just so many people who sit every day and they just consume Dr. Phil and he's, he is their hope. He's their truth. Because he's so calm. He's always got good advice. He doesn't have like some of the crazy like some of the other like talk show hosts in, in days gone by. Right? I mean, there's a difference between Jerry Springer and Dr. Phil. Is there not? I mean, it's... Is there, I mean, am I the only one here who sees this? Like, some people put their, their, their faith and hope in that, that, and their trust in that, like, that's, that's good, or, or maybe a self-help book. Some of you, you, you have your, you've put your trust in, in who you're connected to, like your family line. Or you put your, your faith and trust in your influence. Or you put your faith and trust in how much money you have stocked away into a 401k. Or you have your faith and trust and maybe it's just, you know, it's just in my family. Like, I, I don't care about material things. It's all in my family. And these things aren't necessarily wrong, but are they worthy of all of your trust? That's a deeper question that deserves an answer. And that's only an answer that if, when you are honest with God... Will he reveal that honesty to you? Because faith is only reliable if it's rooted in a reliable truth. Faith is only reliable if it's rooted in a reliable truth. Anderson, in, in his quote called The Bondage Breaker, he said this, Faith is choosing to believe and act upon what God says regardless of feelings or circumstances. I thought that was a good word. I thought that was a really good word. Well, you may say, well, pastor, okay, that's, that's awesome. You've said some things about truth, but why is the truth so difficult to receive? That's a good question. Why is it so difficult to receive? Like, why is it that there just seems to be at times a spiritual block? Like, I want to believe it. I want to act upon it. And yet there's just something in me that kind of goes against that. Maybe just kind of just grinds against it. I just haven't come to understand it. Three things that you have to know about this is, one, Satan hates the truth. He hates the truth. And he does have some power and dominion here on earth. So there are systems 
that are woven into our spiritual battle that are in alignment more with satanic powers than God's powers because God has allowed Satan to have some dominion and authority here on earth. He has. Satan hates the truth. This is what it says in John 8, 4, 4. He, meaning Satan, has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. He is a liar and the father of lies. The very character of Satan. Some of Satan's lies that, that maybe you have believed is that you're not loved, that you're supposed to be lonely, that you're not, your needs will never be met, so just take matters into your own hands. You have no one you can trust, so just rely upon yourself. The people are the enemy because that person offended you years ago, so people are the enemy, so talk about them. People are out to get you, so avoid them. Or the lie that many of us have believed, certainly in America, it's based really that this is part of the American dream. You're doing great all by yourself. You don't need God. You're doing great all by yourself. You see, the only way to learn to discern the truth from a lie is by continuing to read the scriptures. Because the reason why we call this the word of God is because we believe this, this was literally, this is a library of writings gathered over many, many centuries, but compiled for us for, for two things. Two kind of theological words, one of which is orthodoxy, that orthodoxy, which means general belief of the Christian faith, and orthopraxy, which means general practice of the Christian faith. So it's not just about some intellectual knowledge, it's also about applying the truths that are in it. That this was, there have been many people who have, have died tried, trying just to get the Bible in, in your hands. Because there was a time in history where the Bible was not able to be in our hands. There have been many people martyred, many Christian martyrs who've died simply to get this book in our hands because of the truths that are in it and how they can change our life. The world is also against the truth. The world. And by the world, I'm not talking necessarily about people. And by the world, I'm not just talking about politics. I'm just saying that there is a system and a way of the world that wants us to, to love things and to marginalize people. That just wants us to, to have more things and love people less. It's the same systems of the world now that are, are telling our young people that they can be a boy or a girl and... and deny the, the gender that God gave them. It's the same lie from the pits of hell that are trying to convince our teenagers that they can be furries, they can be animals. And, and to many of us, it seems absurd, but, but we shouldn't just smile and say, that is, just, that is just so ridiculous. What we should do is that we should grieve that because we see that there's a foothold that Satan has with our teenagers, and we need to pray for our teenagers, equip our teenagers, encourage our teenagers, and encourage them to be into our lives. Rather than standing in opposition to them and in judgment of them and just condemning them, we need to invite them in because it is those people who, in those moments, who need to know 
who they are. They need to know that they've been made in the image of God. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know that there's a pathway through that identity crisis. They need to know that God has a greater purpose for them rather than searching for their identity. We, we can do this. We should do this. This is why we pour a lot of resources into our kids' ministry and to our student ministry. And I'm not just talking about money. Our greatest resource is people, and I know that. But we have people who pray for our kids, and they invest in our kids. Why? Because those kids are valuable, because they're souls. There's people that we need to be inviting into the kingdom of God, because once they're invited into the kingdom of God, they don't have to chase all those worldly things. But if they don't know the truth, they're simply going to live into the lie. Another passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5, says this. For the time will come and men will, put up with, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you, Christians... Keep your head in all situations, enduring hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, share your faith publicly. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, do the things that God has equipped you and called you to do. Not only is Satan against the truth, and not only is the world against the truth, our flesh wars against the truth. Our flesh that's within us. The nastiness within us. The flesh that is at war with the spirit within us. It's the sins that, that Jesus, it seems like over time we're saved. Uh, we're saved in a moment, but yet over a period of time he sanctifies us and he, he just sometimes just pulls those sins out of our lives. Sometimes they come quick, sometimes it's a journey. But he continues to work. What I found is specifically with, within our flesh is that's also where our pride rests. You see, our pride seeks to excuse ourselves and blame others. I thought of three different things, honestly, that, that pride touches. And it's the flesh within us and perhaps some things that, that you need to commit to God. One of the reasons why we don't live into the truth is because we fear what others will think of us. Because we're so caught up with compliance, we just have to be like everyone else to kind of blend in because we're afraid of standing alone. We're afraid of really trusting God. So instead, we, we kind of like put all of our hope in like connecting to people because they have become our hope. We put our faith in who we're around instead of the God who created all of this. So sometimes we rest on compliance based in a fear of what others think of us. Second, some of us just go to conformity for fear of what others will say about us. So we just conform our life to the people around us, to the world around us. Therefore, we don't stand out. We don't look different. It's because we're trying to protect ourselves, which is fear-based. And the last is this. It's 
compromise. So we say things like this, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm just not going to tell them all, all that I know that to be true. I'm, it's going to hurt their feelings, so because it, it's going to hurt their feelings, I just, I can't, sh- I'm not going to share that publicly. It's because in those moments we're willing to compromise, and, and perhaps we're, we're afraid of them, and we're actually more afraid of them than we are the consequences of disobeying God. Sadly, Christians have gotten so good at blaming the world for acting like the world while giving a pass to Christians that act like the world. Caleb, one of our teenagers, gave the rally this morning, and I thought of you. I don't know where Caleb is right now. Where's Caleb? Oh, he's on the camera. There he is. Everybody say, hey, Caleb. He's back there on the camera. If you're at home tuning in right now, say thank you, Caleb, because he's the one allowing it to happen. The Christians have gotten so good at blaming the world for acting like the world while giving a a pass to Christians who act like the world. It's like the world just becomes these big bad people that we have no effect over, but yet those who we could have an effect on within the church, we give them a pass and we remain silent, denying the truth, willing to compromise the truth. Hard truths like horse pills. There's a picture, isn't it? can be hard to swallow, but with the help of the Spirit, it is dissolved into your life. So I want to end with this, four different takeaways. How can I win the battles with the belt of truth? How can I win the battles? Let's get really practical. Can we get really practical? How can I win the battles with the belt of truth? Jesus said in John 17, 7, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, he says this. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments in every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So I'm going to give you four different things to help you to be able to do this. So that when you see the truth of God's word, you can observe things in your life. You can, you can hold thoughts captive before you, you act or react. You can hold them captive with these four tangible things. If a thought comes to mind, first thing you need to do is capture it. If a thought comes to mind, capture it. Don't just allow that that thought to just race on through your mind. Slow yourself down. Slow your breathing down. Capture that thought. The only way you're going to know if it's it's a thought that honors God or honors you and honors people is if you slow down long enough to allow it to, to be sanctified with the truth. Second, If any thought comes to mind that is not in alignment with God's truth, dismiss it. Dismiss it. Don't entertain it. Don't dream about it. Don't toy around with it. Dismiss it. Third, if an opportunity comes up that will drive you to do or say something that is not true, avoid it. This talks about 
there's certain things that happen in our life, certain patterns that we all have. And there are certain patterns of unbelief that we have. And there are certain patterns and behaviors that we have that we fall into. And if, if God, by his grace, shows you one of those patterns that is not honoring to him and not honoring to people and not honoring to yourself, instead of just following suit and getting into that rut, once you recognize that that, that, that is your propensity, avoid it. And last, if any situation pushes you to compromise truth, escape from it. Run from it. Go quickly from it. So if you're in any situation that you're put in to compromise the truth, escape from it. It's okay in a moment, church, listen to me if you would please. It's okay to look like a coward to maintain your integrity. It's okay. It's okay that, that if somebody wants to consider you cowardice so you maintain your integrity, that's okay. Because your faith's intact and you honored God and you actually honored yourself and then it isn't on contingent on upon how they feel or what they think of you. Instead, it's resting in the truth of God's word and what God says about you and the integrity that he wants you to live with. That is something you could stake your life on. Would you stand with me?